You're listening to Amphibicast. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining me again. This is going to be a short little solo episode. Uh, I got to that point where I have a little bit of free time left in my billing cycle, and I wanted to put out a short little episode about fruit fly culturing, and specifically what happens when your fruit fly cultures fail. Common problem, something that we all experience, and I thought I would share a couple of tips. I've had some conversations off air with a few listeners and a few few people that I know, and I thought it might be just beneficial to everybody to just kind of get out some of the ins and outs of how to navigate when you have problems and some of the things you can do to be a little bit proactive, maybe offering some culturing tips and the usual. But before that, of course, the usual stuff. Thanks to everybody for the nice five-star reviews. Uh, up to like close to like 125 stars on Spotify, which kind of blew my mind. So I want to thank everybody for the support with that. And of course, everybody else, the patrons, I want to give everybody a nice shout out. I uh, always appreciate the patronage. So if you're interested in supporting the show by becoming a patron, consider doing so. You'll find a link in the show notes that'll take you to the Patreon page. I've got tiers as low as a dollar a month up to the $5 a month tier. $5 a month tier, you get the shout out at the beginning of an upcoming episode which is pretty awesome, if you ask me. So uh, check it out. If you want to support the show, it's a great way to do so. If not, I've got merch in the merch store, and I've also got a link to Institute Ecosystems. I'm an affiliate, and if you make a purchase through that link, you'll get 10% off of Institute Ecosystems tank. So uh, let's get into it tonight. So for, uh, culturing fruit flies, um, for lack of a better word, kind of stinks. It's a difficult endeavor and it honestly deters a lot of people from getting into the dart frog hobby because people understand that fruit flies are essentially the go-to diet. They're basically the staple diet for probably the majority of the species, although some of the species like the phyllobates, uh, I'll cheat and I'll feed those guys crickets, but don't tell anybody. So when it comes to fruit, uh, culturing fruit flies, well, what's the basic process? Let's start with that first. Well, there's a number of different methods that are available out there, but it's generally kind of the standard, at least here in the U.S. I know people in Europe do things a little bit differently. Uh, 32-ounce deli cup, usually clear, with some kind of either a fabric or a mesh lid, obviously something that's fine enough to prevent the flies from escaping. Add some sort of a media, whether it's something that you prepare on your own or whether it's something you purchase, and some sort of surface area inside the deli cup, either uh, coffee filters, which is a popular thing, or uh, wood, uh, wood wool also goes by the name of, uh, I think it's Aspen or something like that, uh, or Excelsior. Excelsior is the name of it. Uh, I happen to use the Excelsior. I, I just prefer it to the coffee filters. Some people prefer coffee filters. Ultimately, that's up to you, and it's going to be one of those things that you're going to kind of develop a preference for uh, through trial and error. So where do we start off? Okay, well, in general, we will take the prepared media, which is usually some sort of a potato-based product, boil it up, uh, add some boiling water, make it to the consistency that we want, add either the Excelsior or the coffee filters in there, put the lid on, let it cool down. I usually let mine cool down overnight. Then we'll add some flies. Well, that's great. Sounds like a plan, but what do we do when there are problems? Okay, common problems. Okay, problem number one. Culture is drying out. Okay, well, when your cultures are dry, that can generally facilitate the growth of mold, which I usually see people encounter uh, kind of when they're first starting off before they've kind of got the consistency right. I happen to like the consistency of baby food, maybe a little bit firmer. I find that uh, anything drier tends to, the culture kind of just dries out and it just doesn't really yield the same results. You're going to want to make sure that the maggots are making use of as much of the culture as possible and you don't have little dry spots and whatnot because I found that those will kind of actually um, 
those will kind of get mold. I've actually found that the drier cultures, at least in my experiences, do tend to mold a little bit easier. I never really figured out why that is. Um, it could very well be that the maggots are just out-competed by the mold. I really don't know. So you want to aim for a good consistency. I've seen people have it where it's super duper soupy. You don't want that either because when the flies go in, they'll kind of drown. Uh, but you don't want it too stiff to the point where it's just going to kind of become this chunk that dries out. My personal preference is I do make manufacture my own media. It's a very simple recipe. I know people have been on me to share it. Um, it's, it's basically very, very simple. Uh, it's just instant potato flakes, sugar, uh, some brewer's yeast, and a couple of other odds and ends, which, in my opinion, just kind of help the culture uh, last. So we've got a culture that dries out. Obviously, we can mitigate that by either keeping it in a more humid spot, sometimes restricting the ventilation. Uh, I find that the fabric mesh lids seem to do well in my situation where I have kind of an ambient humidity in the basement of around maybe 60%. If you have higher humidity or lower humidity, you might want to also consider storing it in a place that might have higher ambient humidity because you'd be surprised, especially in the wintertime with the heat on or in the uh, summertime with the air on that can also pull the moisture out of the air so you're going to want to make sure that you have a place that's kind of around uh, 50 I'd say, I'd say like 50 to 60 percent humidity seems to be optimal and that's where I've had the best results so obviously figure out what works for you get the right consistency and that's usually a good start so when it comes to mold which I touched on briefly I found that the best way to just eliminate mold is to have a culture that is number one properly hydrated, but I also use vinegar. I know people like to use apple cider vinegar. I've had just great results with just plain white vinegar. When I add my boiling water to my mixes, when I do my rounds, I'll usually add, uh, depending on how much meat is in the cup, maybe about one part vinegar to about three parts water. And I found that that has a pretty good yield for me. I haven't had mold in, in years, and the vinegar just seems to be a natural antimicrobial, natural mold inhibitor. Uh, I also do use cinnamon in my mix as well. I should have mentioned that earlier. Cinnamon is also kind of in the same vein. Very natural way to just eliminate mold. I, again, I haven't had mold in the longest time and I attribute it to kind of that trifecta having cultures that aren't too dry. Incorporate vinegar into the base and add some cinnamon. And again, the amount, the proportions and whatnot, there's plenty of recipes online. And if you are having poor results with a prepared media, try another media. Um, try making your own, try supplementing your own with, feel free to experiment. Uh, the most important thing is to really just make sure that you have a ready supply of, a ready supply of flies. So you're not going to want to experiment with a culture that you're depending on feeding your animals. So it kind of makes it for a good side project. I usually like to buy my containers in bulk. And if I'm trying a new method, I might make three or four side cultures that are independent of the others and just kind of keep them on reserve. So we've got that, we've got our base, we've got our media, we've got our mix, we've added our Excelsior, we've added our coffee filters or whatever, have our ventilation, and we're ready to go. So the best way to add flies is generally from a culture that is not ancient. Two reasons. Number one, the cultures that are older typically harbor more mites, and the mites will piggyback their ways into the culture. You'd be surprised how many ways they can get in there, but oftentimes on the backs of flies. One of the common ways to get rid of the mites or to lessen the population of mites is to dust your flies with calcium supplement. I just throw some Rapashi Calcium Plus in a, in a little spare deli cup. I've got them kind of all over the place. And uh, 
depending on how many cultures you are, put what you need into the cup, shake it around. The flies will kind of groom that off of themselves. Some people like to do it over a, a filter like a colander or a fine screen. Um, it can't work. It, it really just depends on how long you leave them in there. Dump your flies in and then put the lids on, let them go. I like to typically paste the, I, I like to typically paste the, the transfer in, in kind of three stages. So hear me out on this. People often ask, how many cultures do you have to have going to maintain your collection? And obviously that varies depending on size. I know people who have hundreds of frogs that make 20, 30, 40 cultures a week. I know people who have just a few frogs and they might make three or four. I would have to say that for every tank that you have, let's just say that you have one to three frogs. And again, this really isn't a hard, fast rule. I would always at least have three different stages of cultures. So my little moniker is this. I have one to seed, one to breed, and one to feed. All right. The feeding culture is mature enough that you can start feeding out flies from it. And it's kind of reached that either that boom phase or with uh, melanogaster, it's producing enough that you can start to feed off of it before the flies overpopulate. You're not going to want to let the flies just massively boom because what will happen is they'll actually start producing a lot of waste. The inside of the culture will get sticky. And when you go to open up that lid to take them out, you'll find a lot of them are just kind of stuck to the top of the lid. So you're going to want to feed your culture off once it's got enough flies that you can comfortably do so. And, um, you know, just be able to do it without making a huge mess because if you let them go for too long under the assumption that their population will get higher and higher my opinion it's actually kind of more of a pain because i have a harder time getting the flies out once they start making a mess and, and it just turns into a disaster so that's your feed culture your seed culture is usually right around the boom phase or shortly thereafter a few days after i've heard different things that flies will mature uh, females will mature first and then males so it's, again, I don't know all the science behind it, but I usually wait a few days or so, maybe a, maybe four or five days after a culture is fully fully bloomed or boomed rather. And then I will take whatever I need off of that and seed my new cultures. This way I'm getting as fresh of a batch as possible, mature adults, which hopefully will have the longest reproductive life, lifespan. And that goes into my seed culture. And the breed culture is obviously a culture that's going to be freshly started, possibly from a week prior, that you're going to want to give, depending on the fly's life cycle, anywhere from two to three weeks to mature, depending on the species, depending upon the ambient conditions. I will confess that I have pretty much completely eliminated Hydei from my, my regiment. I found that it's harder to control mites with Hydei just because the life cycle of the mites and the flies are kind of in sync. So with the Melanogaster... I found that I can lessen the mite problem by just pacing it accordingly. So like I said, I will start off with a fresh culture. I will seed it from a culture that's not too old, not carry a bunch of mites in there and dead flies. You also want to avoid having any old excelsior or anything like that, any media falling into there as well, because that can also be a catalyst for mites. And basically just kind of stagger it in such a way that you kind of keep one step ahead of the mites life cycle. Because mites are another problem, which are pretty much go hand in hand with creating fruit fly cultures and we'll, i guess we'll cover that now grain mites for all intents and purposes are really more of a nuisance they will outcompete the flies they can i don't want to say destroy a culture but it can get to a point where the culture just does not it just does not thrive the maggots and the the, the maggots go through the media and the flies actually eat the i i believe it's like the um the fermented sugars that come off of the 
off of the media itself. So the flies aren't technically aren't eating the media. But regardless of what happens, the mites in excess will kind of ruin a culture. And what I like to do, again, as I said, is just kind of stay one step ahead of that. So what can we do for mite control? All right, just to recap, try and seed your cultures from cultures that have just fully fully boomed, hopefully don't have a tremendous amount of mite population in them. Dust your flies with whatever method you want to do. Add them. Uh, I also don't like to add excessive amounts of flies. I only like to add about 20 to 50 flies, maybe a little bit more per culture. When I first started out, I was under the misconception that if I took hundreds of flies and put them in a culture that they would boom faster. It really doesn't work that way. That just kind of overwhelms it. So I found that that ratio of 20, 30, maybe 40, 50 flies seems to do the trick. And um, hopefully you stay ahead of the mites. So when it comes to mite control, this is another question that people have asked me about, and there's different opinions upon it. I think the best surefire way to not have the problem with mites is to do a couple of things. Like I said, maintain that schedule where you seed a culture one week, you feed it off another, and you let it breed. So try and stay in sync with the fly's life cycle. And after an, a culture is old, there's a couple of things you can do. Once a culture looks old and it's no longer producing, it's pretty much time to discard it. What I will actually do, though, is I will save the older cultures, especially the ones that have mites, and I'll stick them in the tanks, and I'll just let the frogs finish them off. In the wild, we do know that mites and other arachnids and whatnot, they actually comprise a substantial amount of the dwarf frog's diet. Uh, I've had that discussion with several experts, people who've, um, who've seen them in situ. And uh, yeah, again, are they the best feeder supply? I really don't know. But you get a combination of mites, you get a combination of maggots, stunted flies, and it's really a good way to keep the, the old culture from going to waste. And I pretty much get the full the full lifespan out of all my cultures by doing it that way. But you're going to want to keep older cultures away from newer cultures. And what, what I do is this. I rotate different sections of my frog room. And, well, I rotate the cultures through different sections in my frog room, each of which is dedicated to a different life cycle. So when I first make my cultures, I generally put them in an area where there's no flies, no frogs. I'll let them sit overnight and cool. And then what I'll do is I will take my cultures that are ready to be seeded, I will seed them into the new ones, and then I will separate those and put them in the area where they're going to be fed off. So just by kind of semi-quarantining everything, you lessen the risk that, flo- uh, that um, uh, excuse me, that mites will contaminate a new culture faster. And certain people like to use different surfaces, different methods to store their c- cultures. This may sound silly, but I use mine in an old cake pan. I usually make about eight cultures at a clip. I stick them on a cake pan. I have it away from my frogs. It's not near any tanks. It's not near any frogs. It's about, say about 74 is usually about the ambient uh, temperature. I keep them out of direct sunlight. And um, as I mentioned earlier, ambient humidity is probably about room temperature. So assuming all those things are correct, that's generally what for me has afforded me the the best production. So how do I get rid of the mites? Well, again... They're not going to be gotten rid of completely, but there's a couple of things that you can do. First things first, I always recommend freezing your media. I like to keep my media in the freezer. It keeps it fresh. I don't have to worry about grain mites getting in there and establishing themselves. I cannot guarantee 100% that feeding is going to completely eliminate your mite problem, but in my experience, it does help. I find it to just be good practice. It keeps the it keeps the media fresher. Other people recommend refrigerating it. I don't know. This Again, it may just seem like a 
kind of just a folklore thing, but I seem to have better results when I freeze the media. When it comes to keeping the mites from getting in or going from culture to culture, uh, you'd be surprised how fast these things move. I mean, they're about the size of the you know, period at the end of a sentence. They're these little kind of yellow tan kind of balls. Uh, you'll, you might not even know that you have them until you really take a good look. If you take a look under a magnifying glass and you can see these little round critters that are about the size of a pencil, pencil point, whatever, that's generally what you're looking for. Can they get in and out of the cultures? Yeah, they can. They can pretty much get in and out any way they want. So what do people do? Well, like I said earlier, I'm a big fan of just kind of semi-quarantining, just moving them around so that I'm not getting mature mites in contact with an immature culture. Some people like to use mite paper, which is essentially a form of contact paper. It's adhesive. It's sticky. The idea is that the mites will crawl from one culture to another and get stuck on the paper. I've never done that. I've never really had a reason to. I feel like if you separate the cultures based on their maturity, you can kind of outcompete the flies, excuse me, outcompete the mites' life cycle that way. So I've never really done that. If you're making a lot of cultures and you can't really isolate them, I could see that being beneficial. It seems pretty harmless as long as it doesn't have any chemicals or anything like that that could potentially contaminate the flies. Uh, I know there is some bug paper out there that does have insecticide in it, so I would use caution when it comes to anything like that. Another option would be, I guess, just using masking tape or something like that, something that was adhesive, but I can't really see that being practical in the long term. Another thing that people will also use is uh, a large tray with water in the bottom, which I guess works. I, I've, I don't know if mites can navigate the meniscus or the, the surface of the water. I don't know if that's a thing that they can do. Again, I can't see water as being particularly harmful, if you want to do it, by all means, go ahead. I just wouldn't want to spill it and have mite water all over me in the floor. So that's that's out for me. Another thing, diametaceous earth, food grade. Diametaceous earth is essentially a it's a powder that's fossilized diatoms, which is little prehistoric little sea creatures. And to human beings, it's not as abrasive as it is to insects. It basically just operates like broken glass to a person. It essentially just destroys the exoskeleton, uh, excuse me, the exoskeleton of small organisms, uh, larvae, whatnot. It's used for quote-unquote natural pest control. I personally am not comfortable recommending diametaceous earth just because it is listed as a silica, which is potentially harmful from a respiratory perspective. I honestly cannot in good conscience recommend that anybody use it just because I, it's, it's not healthy to breathe in. It's not something that you're going to want to spill and, and then get a mouthful of it. Uh, even though it is labeled as diametaceous earth at food grade, I'm a little apprehensive. Uh, it's really not necessarily something that you're going to want to breathe in. OSHA regulations and whatnot, they do list it as a silica. Silica is on par with like sand and things like that. Generally not something you're going to want to be in contact with for a prolonged period of time. It is used as insect control. Like I said, it does destroy larvae and whatnot. Uh, it's actually very, very effective at doing that. If you look at it under a microscope, it's actually pretty cool. You can see how jagged the edges are. But I, I've never really found reason to, to use that. I feel like if your mite problem is that bad, you may just want to just kind of scrap everything and start over with new cultures. There's a, a few really good reputable vendors out there that I've dealt with in the past um, if anybody has questions, you, you can reach out to me privately. But I've found that 
a lot of those kind of methods or whatnot, it's generally like if you have enough mites that you're losing, you're, you're losing your cultures, the best bet in some cases might just be to start over because you're going to find that once the mites take hold, it's, it's harder and harder and harder to control them at a bad point. At a, at a bad stage, as opposed to controlling them at a lesser stage. So that's one problem that could, that could easily be solved. It takes practice. It takes work. And like I said, don't beat yourself up. It may take some time for you to figure out the right mode for you, how often you need to make cultures, where you want to put them, where do you want to, you know, how many do you need? For my collection of about, uh, about 30 some odd frogs, 25 some odd frogs, Eight cultures every two weeks seems to be the norm for me. This way I have enough on file or on file. I don't, keep, I don't really keep a file, but uh, I have eight on the shelf that are maturing and I have eight that are either going to be seeded or fed off into new cultures because obviously once you seed the cultures, there's no reason to keep them. You can obviously start feeding those off. So that's my schedule and I hope that that helps everybody out. And uh, a couple other little odds and ends. I'm trying to think of anything else that might present as being a problem. Uh, if you have Hydei, again, Hydei has that longer life cycle, and they're really more of a boom and bust. So with the Melanogaster, they'll generally con- they'll generally produce more consistently, whereas the Hydei will all of a sudden just show up one day. You'll have this overabundance, and if you can time that correctly, and you're feeding larger frogs, then by all means go for it. There's also some little little tricks and whatnot that go along with Hydei. Again, I would recommend. I would just recommend always having some extra melanogaster, just because if you are relying on Hydei and there's an issue, you may kind of be left high and dry, and you may need uh, you may need someone to send you some cultures. That's why I'm a big fan of always having some melanogaster, whether it's your primary supply or not. Other issues that may present. Well, we've talked about drying out. We've talked about mites. What do we do if? we just can't get our cultures to get started. Okay. Well, let's just say that you're seeding your cultures and you're just not getting a good yield. Well, you're going to have to ask yourself, are you using the right media and have your flies matured or are they stunted? Meaning, are you waiting too long to take flies from your seed culture into your, your new culture? That's a distinctive possibility. If you are seeding with flies that are stunted or older or at the end of their life, that is going to carry over into your production. So if you've got a culture that's really, really old and really, really kind of nasty and funky, and you've got really stunted flies, those are not the genetically fit ones that you're going to want to introduce into your new cultures. So that could also be a part of it. If you're drawing on a, so to speak, maybe a bad example, but if you're drawing water from a well that's poison, that's no good, you're going to get poison water that's you know it's one does not go in the other if you're drawing from fresh water you're going to get fresh water same thing if you're drawing from a culture that has healthy flies you should by and right get healthy flies another problem well if you're drawing from the same culture over and over and over again you're going to lose some of the genetic diversity which i mean fly genetics is a little bit more complex than i want to get into in this episode but you do run the risk of some genetic depression. You might end up getting flies that are just not as healthy and whatnot. So what I like to do is I like to seed from multiple cultures. So if I make eight cultures, I like to at least pull from half of them, if not more, and just kind of mix everything up just so I get some genetic diversity. And that tends to prolong the, the longevity of cultures into sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years. It depends. It's been about 
maybe about two years since I've added any fresh, or I'm sorry, about a year since I've added any fresh blood into my cultures. And occasionally I do like to scrap everything and kind of start over or just kind of start like an insurance colony that's separate from everything else. And that's basically it. Uh, one last thing, though, I will mention, though, is when you can have some issues. All right, flyers. It really doesn't take more than a wild fruit fly to get in there and kind of just wreck what you've done. Again, there's more genetics going into it. You've got wingless. We've got uh, winged flies where it's it's the mechanism just kind of atrophies and whatnot. But, yes, it can happen. You get a wild fruit fly in your cultures, and then you'll open it up one day, and you'll have flyers. It just happens. These are, by and large, to my knowledge, recessive genes. So... A dominant gene from a wild fly can pretty much undo that. So you're going to want to keep your room quarantined and away from things like fruit and whatnot. Here it's the summer. We've got a lot of fresh fruit going on. And yeah, I get rogue fruit flies, flyers in my house. I had a little bit of a problem that I had to address with them. Yeah, it's a nuisance. It's a pain. So you're going to want to make sure that you can't get any kind of contact. And the flies, believe it or not, can actually sometimes mate through the through the lid. Uh, I've never had a problem with fabric lids, but I think that the the mesh lids, the very, very fine mesh lids, I would imagine they could probably get their reproductions back and forth through there. So can happen. Heard it from big suppliers. That happens in their, in their establishments too. So you want to maintain some sense of quarantine. Another possibility is also temperature extremes. High temperatures will kill off your colony just as much as low temperatures will. I found that right around the mid-70s seems to be the most productive I've also found that if it gets excessively high into the 80s, higher 80s, I'll just spontaneously develop flyers. I know that that's kind of consistent with the the lineage of flies that I keep. So you're going to want to keep anything away from excessive temperatures, high 80s, whatnot. People who live in hotter areas of the country, again, if you're having issues with hot temperatures and you're able to keep them without getting flyers, I'd be interested to hear about it. But it's been my experience is excessive heat, uh, yeah, it can kind of turn on that whatever that whatever that gene is, whatever that is, that normally atrophies those wings to make the flies flyless. In this case, uh, it, I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. I, I've opened up wingless, or not excuse me. I've opened up flightless cultures, and I've had a bunch fly out. It's a disaster. If you have those, you have to discard them. Anything that flies is no good. Get rid of it. Scrap it. Start over. You're not going to have those things go back to flightless by any stretch of the imagination. So always have some kind of reserve. Develop a relationship with someone you know who's got cultures that you can trust, or possibly small vendors, big vendors, whatnot. I mean, anybody I've had on the show, I would pretty much recommend getting flies from. I can't imagine anybody I've had on the show uh, not being able to provide you with good stuff. But that's always something to consider: is the day that they may become flyers. What to do if you have a crash? Well, if you have a crash and everything dies, you have to figure out what went wrong. And usually it's something that's going to be fairly obvious, whether it's a temperature extreme, whether it's you, you weren't paying attention, you got overrun with mites. I've even seen it where uh, cultures will actually ferment to the point where the flies will die. It's not common, but there was a period where I was adding fresh, I was adding fresh fruit. I was adding banana, well, fresh bananas. And uh, the, the cultures just fermented and went bad. The flies really didn't do well. And after that, I kind of just backed off and just went with the conventional media types. So uh, don't try to reinvent the wheel. Remember, the, the cultures in and of themselves should be fairly simple. Uh, I've avoided fresh fruit just because I've had issues with fermentation. You open the culture up, it's, it's nasty. It smells like rotten fruit. You won't get the boom. You won't get the production. Uh, another reason for crashes is 
being cheap on the Excelsior or the coffee filters. I really like to load my cultures with as much Excelsior as possible. It gives the flies more space to crawl around on. The maggots aren't going to use it. They're not going to crawl out on it, but it gives the adult flies some extra space to go to. And I found that I get better yields that way. I actually learned that from the dart frog queen. I learned it from Stefania Facci. Uh, some of her old videos are online. And um, when I had her on the show a while back, I asked her about it. And yeah, having don't cheap out. When I cheaped out, I got less flies. The more Excelsior you put in there, it just works better. Why? I have no I have no idea. I'm just telling you from personal experience. So make sure you get a, get a good source of Excelsior coffee filters, whatever, and see how that affects your production. I've had people send me pictures in the past of just a couple of coffee filters, and that was my recommendation is just try and really load it with surface area as something for them to cling on to. And... Um, that's basically the long or the short of it. I'm trying to think of anything that I may have missed. I think that's it. Uh, again, it really, it's a simple thing, but it can be complicated. So I encourage you to play around, try different things, experiment. Obviously, always make sure that you have enough media, supplies, whatnot, to maintain your cultures, to maintain your collection. But all in all, it, it's, it can be frustrating, and it, at the same time, can be very rewarding. So if you are able to figure it out, if you're able to kind of crack that code and figure out what works for you, by all means, go ahead. Not everything I say in this episode is going to apply to everybody, but if it helps you, by all means, I hope it helped. So, and another thing you want to consider also is, uh, if possible, supplemental feeders, having a colony of springtails, especially for smaller frogs, fog or juveniles, whatnot, ranitomea. And for some of your larger, spe- your larger species, I found that like my... My phyllobates species, I've been feeding them quarter-inch crickets, the adults, and that seems to be fine with them, and it's a lot easier to get quarter-inch crickets than it is to get fruit flies in a pinch. So depending on your species, tailor your plan, always have a backup, and that's basically it. So if you guys have any questions, concerns, comments, whatever, uh, I'd like to yeah, hear, I'd like to hear them. I'd like to you know shoot me a message on Instagram, or if you want to email me, amphibicast at gmail.com. I'd be curious in hearing some stories and suggestions. So... Well, in any event, I know it was a short episode, but uh, I wanted to get this kind of this kind of stuff out there because, again, I have people reach out to me, and uh, this is a great opportunity to kind of, uh, you know, fill out the month or whatever it is by adding some short, quick content that everybody can absorb. So, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, I've got some more uh, solo episodes coming up, some kind of just little short husbandry uh, episodes that I hope uh, give everybody some tips. And that's all for this week. And I'll catch up with you guys again. Ne- I'll catch up with you guys again next time.